Well, good morning. Uh, welcome again to those who are joining through live stream. We're grateful to be able to be with you. So um, my name is Justin, Justin Poitras, and uh, my, myself, my wife Liz, are just really grateful to be with you guys. Uh, it's been uh, very good. It's been a, a real honor and, and just grateful to get to know some of you already, get to have some conversations and, and be welcomed by so many of you, and you know, we're looking forward to getting to know some more of you more. And uh, it's just a, a real honor, it's a real privilege to be with you this weekend. We feel humbled by this opportunity to uh, be considered for the opportunity of serving with you in whatever the next chapter is of what God is doing here at All Saints. And a little bit about myself, uh, you know, you may be able to see some of these things in the <clears throat> bio, but my background in college, or at least my education, was in education, so I was learning to be a teacher, uh, and, and that meant that a lot of times uh, in college, a little before college, I, I did a lot of summer camps, and I did a lot of the um, summer games, camp games, that sort of stuff. And you know, one of the games that we played, um, which you know, I, I think is actually banned now in a lot of uh, camps and schools, there may be some good reasons for that, but it's a game called Red Rover. Now, just, I, I'm just very curious here. Anybody, just show of hands, you played or familiar with the game Red Rover? Okay, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, as I said, I, so... Um, I, as I, don't, I don't see this being played very often, but if you haven't or are not familiar, refresher. So there's, and there's different ways of playing these, right? But uh, there's a person in the center right, who's the tagger, and, and then there's everybody else. You got everybody else lined up on one far side, and the, the person in the center will, will call out and say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send anyone with you know, like white shoes on over. Right? And then if you have white shoes, you, you race as fast as you can to get to the other side. And then if you get tagged, if you get caught, you have to join the person in the center, you hold hands with them, you, you form this tagging line. And then more groups get called, individuals can get called out, usually it's categories of people, and you have to try to, again, avoid this tagging line, or you run really hard, that's some of the physical uh, part of this, and try to break through one of the, the handholds and, and get to the other side. Uh, and really important as well, when you're playing this, is that you are not the last one off the line. Because if you're the last one off the line, then you know, much higher odds you are going to get singled out and caught. And you know, sometimes what would happen, you know, if you're playing this, you know, there will be you know, a person says, Red Rover, Red Rover, send anyone with white shoes over. And, and you're all keyed up. You know, you're, just, you're, you're ready to go. And you, okay, all right, that's not me. Uh, and then you know, like two seconds later, somebody nudges you, like, yeah, you got white on your shoes, sir. And then you just race, you sprint as fast as you can to try to get to the other side. And I use that illustration because that's kind of what my point for this sermon is, is that I want us to be able to identify ourselves. I want to be able to see ourselves quickly, readily in these categories. And the categories that come to us from these verses so that we can run as fast as we can towards Jesus and towards the good news that, that he has for us. 
So uh, let me read our passage for us this morning. This is coming from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It's the word of the Lord. Would you just pray with me briefly again? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the treasures of encouragement and good news that you have for us from your word. Would you open our ears and our our hearts, our minds, to be able to receive the ways that you want to build us up, the ways that you want to meet us with the sufficiency of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, my guess is that some of you are probably familiar with this text for the same reason that I chose it, uh, and that is that this is the text that Jesus chooses. Uh, It is the prophecy that he reads when he sort of introduces himself. He's sort of introducing his ministry to the world. And you can find this in uh, Luke, 4, Luke 4, 14 to 30. And Jesus reads these exact verses, and then he stops after to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he sits down. Right? And he says, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. Meaning, this, what we just read, this is what I came to do. This is what I'm here for. This is my mission. This, uh, this is coming about, it is now being fulfilled, and it's me. And, and he stops just short of declaring the day of God's vengeance, because Jesus in his particular ministry, he's not about bringing immediate judgment, immediate consequences. He is focused on making more wide, more plain, more, more clear the way of salvation, that it is accessible, it's open to anyone who wants it. And there is, of course, a judgment that is coming for anyone who doesn't accept, doesn't receive Jesus. But I picked this passage in particular because I want to talk to you about the gospel. And this is really one of the most effective condensations, distillations, really, of what is the gospel. Now, what is it that Jesus came to do? And what was his mission? What is it that we as Christians are called to receive and embrace and then bring to other people? You'll notice verse 1 here, it says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, why? Why is God's Spirit on Jesus? Or why is God's Spirit on the prophet Isaiah. It was because of their message. It's because of what they're about to say. The things that they are about to declare are really central to who God is, who, what his character is, and the things that his spirit is focused on doing. 
Right? So that's another way of saying like, these things are just really important. They're really important to who God is. They're really key to what he wants to be doing. So uh, what was Jesus' ministry about? And what, what was his mission? And, you know, in short, and we'll come to this in just a moment, Jesus' mission is to declare God's favor. Declare God's favor and it's his grace, his salvation, that it is, it is available, it has come, it is accessible, it's here. But, right, here's the key conditional here. There are certain categories of people that it is available to. All right, and this kind of goes back to what I said was the, the point of this sermon is my goal is that we can find ourselves, we can see ourselves in one of these categories, hopefully all of these categories, so that you can know God's favor is on you, God is for you. Because kind of the negative side of this, the flip side, is if you can't do that, if you can't see yourself in one of these categories and fit that, I, I don't know that you can be so sure that God is for you, that you have his favor. So my main point here from this sermon is that you find your pain so that you can find your hope. Or find your pain so that you can find your hope. And what I want to do is we go through these two verses there's essentially four categories that kind of rise out of these two verses. And there's two categories in verse 1, and these two are closely related. And then there's two categories in verse 2, and those two are also closely related. And so we'll go through those, and then I want to wrap up by thinking about, well, what are just some practical application points? What do we do with this? You know, how, can we, um, how can we take some takeaways from this? So, verse 1, there are two primary categories here, and that is uh, the poor and the captives. Those are related. Verse 2, there's the wronged and the mourning, and those two are related. All right, so let's start here with verse 1. These two main categories, I said, are, are related, and that is the poor and the captives. The poor and the captives. What does it mean to be poor? Well, you know, that means a whole lot more than just being in the lowest tax bracket. Uh, the, the word poor could be also translated afflicted, could be translated needy. And in our English language, that even, you know, that word poor has a fairly broad range of meaning as well. You can be poor in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know if you have read or familiar with, there's a, a book by two guys, Corbett and Fickert. It's called When Helping Hurts. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it because uh, these, these two guys were missionaries and they are now uh, missiologists and they are essentially experts. They're specialists in helping the Western church, specifically the church in America, to think through effectively, well, what does it look like to bring actually useful aid and generosity and help uh, and relief to impoverished communities and specifically to developing countries. 
And they do a fantastic job, I think, of breaking down a lot of the misconceptions that we tend to have in the West about what does meaningful help uh, and relief and generosity and support actually look like in a way that's, that's actually useful to people. And they offer four different categories of poverty. And I'll try to go slow. Some of you like to um, copy us down, I'm, I'm sure. So they talk about uh, there's a poverty of your spiritual intimacy. Okay? That's your relationship with God. There is a poverty of being. Right? That's your relationship with yourself, your view of, of yourself, your self-worth. There is a, a poverty of community. Right? That's your relationships with other people. And then there's a, a poverty of stewardship, which just you know, how you relate to material things, which is a fairly broad in its own way. So it's, there's a poverty of spiritual intimacy, a poverty of being, a poverty of community, and a poverty of stewardship. I am poor. You are poor. Now, we got to be careful how we say that uh, so it's not taken in a wrong way or, or a way that's not helpful. Now, I think the more important question is, do you know that about yourself? Do, do you, can you see yourself in that? And my guess is probably yes. Probably yes, if you're willing to go there, if you're willing to start examining your own life, uh, there will probably quickly flood to mind a host of areas that you feel insufficient, that your life feels lacking, it feels incomplete, that your relationships are not what you want them to be, that your work is not what you want it to be, that your spiritual life, your your spiritual walk is not what you want it to be. Your own personal development is not what you want it to be. We are poor. Now that's great news. Because the people that Jesus says that he came to bring good news to are poor people. And that's, that's who he says that he wants to minister to. And alongside, in verse 1, Alongside this category of poor, it kind of complements it, maybe goes a little bit deeper into what that means, uh, is we find brokenhearted, brokenhearted people. And you don't have to look very far to find a brokenhearted person. You just talk to a teenager. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, I guarantee, guarantee in the past year, there have been somebody that they have liked or somebody they've been wanted to be friends with or something they've wanted to do or be involved with, and it hasn't come through or hasn't been reciprocated. And that's heartbreaking. And before we just kind of laugh that off, I use that example because it gives us a window into the ways that you and I are brokenhearted. Now, what does it mean to be brokenhearted? Uh, It means that you have hopes, that you have desires, that you have longings that have not been met. You have set your heart on something, and that something has failed you. It has fallen through. 
You, you have desires that have not come about. You have longings and hopes and deep prayers that have come to nothing and, and just failed you. And that's heartbreaking. And what is it that Jesus says that he came to do? Does it scold you for, yeah, come on, come on now, you know, you, you really should have put your desires in the right place to begin with, don't you know? Westminster Catechism 1 1, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God, enjoy him forever. No. When Jesus says that he came to bind up, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Right? He does that, he brings us healing by showing, by demonstrating that he is reliable, that he is not going to let you down, that you can count on him over and over. And one thing I hope you've noticed, even this far into this, is that Jesus, the, the, <laughs> Jesus came to save, he came to help, he came to redeem and bring life to people who are needy. People who, who know that they have needs. Right? People who are they're aware of their brokenness. They're aware of their sin. They're aware of their inability to make things right for themselves. Right? They get to a point where they say, I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus because this is not working. I'm not, I'm not doing it. The way that I'm doing it is not working out for me. And a lot of times... I think, you know, particularly if, like me, or you've grown up in church, you've been in church for a long time, uh, you can define what it means to be a Christian. You can articulate that. Or you can say, okay, yes, being a Christian, you know, that means I have accepted Jesus. Uh, I, I put my faith in him. He's taken my, uh, my punishment for my bad record. He's given me his good record in this exchange. But we forget... We lose sight of, what does that actually mean in our day-to-day life? One of the things that we can see in these verses is that one of the things it looks like is that we start by coming to God and say, God, I'm poor. I'm needy. I'm brokenhearted. Can you help me? And Jesus loves to do that. He loves to, to meet us and walk with us there. Let's look at the second category that's found in verse 1, and that's the captives. And the captives. And the function of the gospel, the final effect of Jesus' gospel, is the setting free of the captives. It's the releasing of those who are bound and those who are in prison. That, that's what's coming out as a result of the gospel. And these people are the captives, uh, those who are in prison, those who are bound. This is all the same kind of category of people, different descriptors. And my question, though, again, is can you find yourself in this category? Can you see how, how this would apply to you? How this would be true in your life. But what does it mean to be a captive? What does it mean to be a prisoner? I think fundamental to both of these is that there's an idea of stuckness. There's an idea of trappedness that you can't get out. You can't 
make things better. You're stuck. You're, you're just, you're, you're mired. And you can be a prisoner of your own devices, and you can be a prisoner of somebody else's devices. And usually for, for most of us, both of those are true uh, in some ways. You are a prisoner of your own devices. You have certain habits and weaknesses, bad choices that you know are bad, but you just keep making the same choices for some reason over and over. And you can be a prisoner of somebody else's. Some other person, some other power has power over you and and hems you down or, or presses you in and and forces you to do things that you would rather not do. And I'm not talking here necessarily about bad moral decisions, just things that you wouldn't necessarily choose for yourself if it was up to you. Now, I have a friend who uh, had a, an experience, probably most of us have at some point, and uh, he had got a job shortly after he graduated, and was thrilled about this job, really, really excited about this opportunity, uh, how he was going to be able to use his skills and advance, And about two months later, it was his prison. He hated that job. Just hated it. Just loathed getting up and and getting into work. And it was just this chain around his neck he couldn't get rid of. I said that these two categories are related, right? That poverty and captivity. And the reason for that is that you are going to be most susceptible to captivity along the same lines that you are most impoverished or that you feel most impoverished, right? I'll say that again. You're going to be most susceptible to captivity along the same lines that you feel most impoverished. That makes sense, Because your need is so great, your desire, your your hole in the life is so big that you'll take anything. You'll take a raw deal. So, how does Jesus help? How, how does he rescue captives? Well, there's two ways that he does this primarily. And one of them is that he supplies infinite riches, infinite supply to us. Jesus says, this is Luke 12, 32, his desire, the Father's desire is to give, to give you the kingdom. <laughs> Jesus wants that for us. And God loves to meet us in our needs. He loves to come to us with healing and restoration and and lead us towards plenty and abundance. I'm not talking prosperity gospel because he does that in the ways that he defines that. But God loves to come and meet us and fill us in our needs. The other way that Jesus rescues captives is by setting us free. And the way that he does that is not that, you know, now that you are your own master, but now Christ is your master. That's actually incredibly liberating if you get a hold of that. If you totally accept and commit to Jesus as your Lord, you are going to be incredibly freed because everything else is going to sort itself out. Everything else is going to fall underneath that. Right? That all you have to worry about is Jesus. You're only taking shots. You're only taking orders from Jesus. And so in that perspective, 
Everything else in this world only has a hold on you in as much as Jesus says to you, okay, yeah, that's important. Or yes, you should care about that or you should respect that. And so now, instead of being captive to 10 or 50 different people or things, you're captive to one. Right, somebody who gave up his life for you. It's a very freeing thing that Jesus offers us. Let's go to verse 2 here, and there's two more categories in verse 2 of people that good news comes to. And the good news in verse 2 is the year of the Lord's favor. This is saying that if you believe in Jesus, if you have trust in Jesus and accept him, then you automatically have God's favor. Automatically, God is for you. He is on your side. You can know that. There's no more uncertainty. There's no more doubt. It is only God's smile. And right after this, we get into a little bit of a tricky part. Because right after it says Jesus comes to bring the year of the Lord's favor, it says he comes to bring the day of God's vengeance. The day of God's vengeance. Now, what do we do with that? How is that good news? I can tell you how that's good news, and that is there is a category of people for whom that is very, very good news. That is anyone who has been wronged, anyone who has suffered injustice. Have you ever been taken advantage of? Have you ever been hurt or squeezed or oppressed or just shoved to the side, just kind of kicked to the curb. It seems like nobody notices, nobody cares. And what you need to know is that God is a God of justice. And he's not going to look over anything. Nothing's going to get swept under the rug. Every word, every action is going to be accounted for. And on the flip side, you've got a guilty conscience because you've been one of those people oppressing somebody, which we all have to some degree. And you need to know that Jesus also took the penalty for that. And so we can look to him to provide forgiveness there. Let's go to the last category. And that is those who mourn. Those who mourn. And one of the central aims of Jesus in his ministry is to comfort those who mourn. And these two, again, I said are connected because I think obviously if you have been wronged, if you have suffered injustice, you are going to be among those who mourn. So why do we mourn? By the way, mourning and complaining are two very different things. It can, it can be a reaction to the same events, the same set of circumstances, but they come with a very different attitude towards God. And kind of a condensed explanation here is that mourning comes with tears, and complaining comes with shaking your fist. And mourning comes with tears, and complaining comes with shaking your fist. So, why, why do we mourn? And mourning, simply put, it's just being really sad that the world is such a broken and messed up 
and sinful place. That the world does not work the way that it should work. That we have war and we have conflict and there should be peace and there should be harmony. That things fall apart. Relationships disintegrate. Sicknesses, injuries slow us down, make life a daily burden. And, and we fail. We fail to meet our own expectations, let alone other people's expectations. And other people are, are failing our expectations. And this is just all part of the fallen world that we live in. And the good news is that front and center in Jesus' ministry is a healing, a restoring, a renewing, an undoing, an unraveling of all this pain, all this disappointment. He's actually started that process now. He does it through his church. Those of us who are part of his church, that is an incredible ministry that we get to be a part of. But there's always going to be reasons to mourn. And if that's where you are, then Jesus wants you to know that there's hope. Because he is going to make things right, even if nobody else can. Even if that's not going to happen in this world. Well, let's go to now some application. And what do we do with this? How do we, how do we apply this in our lives? I want to close with giving you just three steps of application. And I hesitated somewhat, you know, whether I give you all these uh, three up front, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to, to stay with me and track with me. I'm giving you all the, the goods up front. Uh, and, and it's also important as we go through these steps, you need to know that I'm giving you, giving you the steps in both their logical order and their order of importance. Okay, meaning that step one comes before and is more important than step two, which comes before and is more important than step three. Are you tracking, sort of? Uh, so uh, it, it's really important, though, that we get that right. We've got to get this order right, because if you don't, the whole thing's going to get fouled up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go off terribly. You're probably going to do a really bad job with step three. So uh, we've got to make sure we get this in order. So step one is find yourself, identify yourself in one of these categories, right? hopefully all of them. Right? Can, can you find yourself in these categories? Step two, believe God's favor is on you. And step three, deliver hope to other people who are in these categories. All right, so, so step one, remember this is the most important one. In fact, this is really the, the main point from the sermon. Find your pain so that you can find your hope. Right, but you've got to start by finding your pain. Because Jesus does not have good news. Jesus isn't good news for people who don't think they need good news. Now, so if you're here and you don't really feel like you're suffering or you're needy or, uh, or troubled, so Jesus just doesn't have a whole lot to offer you. So can you find yourself in one of these categories. You know, I remember, and you may be familiar with, there's a parable 
that Jesus tells primarily to a Jewish audience, and it's the parable of the wedding banquet feast. And, you know, he sends out this invitation to, to all these people. And the problem is the original guest list, they've all got really good things going on. They, their life is pretty good. They feel like they've got things under wraps. And so they basically tell Jesus, nah, nah, that's, that's good, not right now. And the messenger comes back, he, he tells Jesus this. And Jesus responds, he says, okay, well, uh, I, I'm determined to have a big wedding banquet feast. I'm determined it's going to be full. It's going to be a really big party. So uh, what you're going to do is you're going to go out, and he tells the messenger to go out and to target whom? Or specifically whom does he tell this messenger to go out and find? Uh, I'm going to read this verse. It's Luke 14, 21, because it's so crucial in underlining what we've been talking about in these verses. He tells the messenger, go out and find the poor, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. What's Jesus doing here? What's he trying to say? He's saying, these are my people. These are the people who are going to want the good news that I want to give them. These are the people, they're going to come, and they are going to come to me because they have needs, and they're aware that they have needs. Now, are you aware of your needs? Am I aware of my needs? Can you find yourself in one of these categories? The poor, captives, the wronged, the mourning, Hopefully you can see yourself in all of these. Hopefully you know that all of these apply to you in in some way. Because as soon as you do, as soon as you can enter into, you can inhabit one of these categories, immediately, that is when Jesus meets you with good news. He says, these are the people I've got good news for. I've got hope for. I've got life for these people. And... uh, the second step, second step is believe that God's favor is on you. Believe God's favor is on you. Now, for some of you here, I'm guessing you have no problem with the first step. <laughs> you do no problem, you know, just thinking that you, your life is a mess and you got all kinds of problems and, and that's not an issue. Your problem is believing that you could ever have good news. Now you hear good news and you think, nah, that must be for somebody else. Do you believe that if you've accepted Jesus as your substitute, as your Lord, that you have nothing but God's love and favor and grace, that he is only for you, even if you are not believing and running away and making mistakes and feels like everything is going wrong, that God is only for you. There's only his smile. That can be really hard to believe. Now, I'm betting that some of you have probably had a coach, you've had a teacher, right, who, who you had their favor. 
I'm not talking about you're the teacher's pet and you're always trying to do, you know, get some on their good side. But just for, for whatever reason, this teacher, this coach, they just they liked you. What did that feel like? What is it like to be in the presence of that man or that woman? And you may or may not have been any good at that subject or that sport. That didn't really matter. Because you knew that person was for you. They did not want to trip you up. They did not want to hurt you. They wanted to see you succeed. They wanted to see you flourish. They genuinely liked you. They genuinely wanted to help you, and and they liked when you came to them for help because you had their favor. You've never had an experience like that. Don't worry too much. That's just a crude picture of what it's like to have the favor of God who made you and made the universe. So last step. We're winding down here. And remember, you got to get these in order. If you jump to the last step, it's going gonna, it's gonna to foul it up. You've got to start with, start with finding yourself in one of these categories. Right? And then believe that God's favor is on you. And then you bring this hope, deliver, deliver this message to other people who are in these categories. And who know that they're in these categories. That was really Jesus' mission. Our last step is really imitate Jesus. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring good news that was available to everyone, but he spent most of his time with people who actually wanted good news. This is a little bit tricky because we're not God and you can't see people's hearts. and We all do a pretty good job of putting up this front of self-sufficiency. And so it might take some time before somebody reveals to you a genuine need or a genuine deficiency. But as soon as that happens, that's when we we can meet them with the good news of Jesus and and who he is. So the last step is just be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for these sorts of people, people who are poor and needy, people who are stuck or trapped people who have been wronged or hurt, and people who are mourning. Let's learn to see ourselves in these different categories and then look for others who are in the same place so we can bring that same hope to. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your message of hope, for your message of kindness and and compassion. And you are eager. You are eager to love us. You are eager to help us. You're eager to bring us the good news. Would you give us just that that awareness of who you are and and an awareness of uh, how much you delight. You delight to, to meet us in our needs and to fill us up with that. In Jesus' name, amen.